Well, good morning. For those of you that I haven't met, as Wes said, I'm Mark Manfredi, and my wife and I are part of the leadership team here at church, and we're in a series uh, called Walking in the Light in the Book of First John. And one of the things that's so great about God's Word, the Bible, is it addresses every area of our life. And if you've been hanging around the last month and a half, we're talking about heart issues in this book, things about the things that we love, the people that we love, what does genuine Christianity look like from a heart level. We've been talking about our hands, the stuff we do. Christianity is a do thing. It's a practical thing. It's not just airy-fairy. It affects our lives and how we treat people. But the Word of God also affects our mind. And uh, today we want to take a look at a passage, a couple of passages in the book of First John that talk about what do we believe? What do we believe about what's really real? In particular, what do we do about this guy, Jesus Christ? So I'm excited to look into the Word this morning, and why don't we just pray before we do that. Lord, I thank you so much for your Word, and I thank you that you are concerned about every part of our life. Thank you for these amazing songs this morning that just testified to your love for us, even when we're distant from you. God, you seek us out, and we thank you for that. Just pray, Holy Spirit, you'd have your way and open our hearts as we look into your Word today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you believe that the Holocaust really happened? Yeah, I mean, you laugh about that, but there are some people that don't believe that. Um, Even in the news this week, it makes you kind of bring some of those subjects back into focus. Um, But for those of you that do believe the Holocaust was an actual event, where did you get that belief? It might have been that you were taught it in school, maybe you read some books on it. Uh, Maybe you've seen a movie, you know, Schindler's List or something. Uh, If you had the ability to travel in Europe, you might even have been able to go to Poland or to Germany, to some of the sites that were concentration camps. Uh, For me, I've always believed that it was a real and true and historical event, but many years ago, as a younger man, I met an old Jewish woman, and she had a very strange tattoo on her hand, and I asked her, what was it? Look at me. (laughs) And she was a Holocaust survivor. She lost her whole family. Now, for me, when you meet someone like that, that's credibility. (laughs) And we know from court of law that um, an eyewitness is really the most powerful form of testimony to anything. Called up my lawyer friend in our church this week and asked him, tell me about how witnesses work. And he said, well... A credible witness is the smoking gun in a testimony. (laughs) Somebody who was right there, who could see it, if they actually were in that place and can testify and they're they're sane and they don't have a reason to lie, that's a very credible, credible source. We're going to look at a very credible witness this morning in the person of John, one of the disciples of Jesus, the 12 followers of Jesus, probably Jesus' very best friend. And there are a couple of things I think that that John would testify to if he were here today. He testifies through them, through what he wrote in the book of 1 John. One of the great things about the Bible is there's such a level of credibility in the New Testament in particular because Jesus lived and died around AD 33, AD 34, and the complete New Testament was finished by the end of the first century. That's very different than most ancient historical books. And why is that important? Because there were people still alive who could testify to the reality of what was written. Or if it was 
cooked up in some kind of false thing, they could have said, hey, that's, ho- that's bogus. Now, a lot of these early leaders were crucified by the Romans or the religious elite. They were uh, beheaded. They were killed. But some of them remained. And John lived into his old age because he was exiled, basically on an island, uh, and lived into the latter part of the first century and wrote this book, the book of First John, as an old man. So maybe 50, 60 years of the church had already existed when he had written this book. And he's looking back as an old man and bringing perspective and, and testifying to the realities of what he experienced as a younger man 30, 40, 50 years prior to that. And um, I think there's two things that we'll see in the book this morning that he could testify to with great certainty. And if you want to look in the book of First John, the first place we'll look is right at the beginning in John, 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. These are the words of John, Jesus' friend. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, this life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing things, things to you that our joy may be complete. He's speaking as an eyewitness testimony. And I think the first thing that I would say if, if John was in a court of law and was testifying about Jesus, I think John would say he believed that Jesus was a real flesh and blood man. Look at these words he's chose. We, we touched him. We saw him. We heard him. We had fish with him. We camped out with him. We traveled with him. We almost lost our life on a boat one night in the, in the sea. You know, I mean, all these stories. He lived with Jesus probably for three years. He testifies a very, very touch, hear, feel. Why is this important? Why is he saying things like this at the end of the first century? Because the history of Christianity is filled with people that would want to discredit that Jesus was really a person. It happened right away in the resurrection of Jesus. The first day, the religious leaders cooked up a story that he, his body had been stolen. He didn't really come from the dead. Throughout the first century, there was lots of goofy stuff going on and people saying, well, I don't know, maybe Jesus was kind of a myth or you know, sort of a good thought. You look at church history for the last 2,000 years, I can give you illustration after illustration of groups that have tried to come in and distort this simple reality that Jesus was actually a man. He was actually a guy. He's a historical figure that lived on the earth. And John is establishing that credibility. Look at the latter part of those verses in verse 3. Why, why, he says, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this and I'm testifying to the fact that I knew this guy, I lived with this guy, because of this issue of fellowship. Now this is a much more powerful word. You may have heard it, the word koinonia. Fellowship, as kind of Christians, we think that's like coffee and donuts afterwards, right? That's sort of what we, oh yeah, we, we had a really good fellowship. The potluck was really good, you know. Um, this word is a whole lot more than just having potluck together. Fellowship is a word that means uh, doing something together. It means when somebody buys a boat together with a friend, they're in a joint business venture. When they purchase a piece of land together and come into business, when they travel together on a journey to bring uh, you know, goods back and trade, 
they have fellowship together. And what John is saying is this is so critical, this reality that Jesus Christ was a flesh and blood man. I want to be as clear as I can. I want to use words that are just over the top so that you really know that he was the real deal. He was a real man. And that that fellowship has affected my whole life, John, I think, is saying. His whole life was changed and shaped for that. And his heart is that our lives would be changed and shaped because of the reality of who Jesus Christ was. It's his humanity in this first part that he's speaking about, verifying this was a real guy. And I was his best friend. So whatever you want to ask me, I'll tell you. We see this topic come back again in chapter 4. A couple of the guys that have been preaching have mentioned this. Don't try to outline First John. Like, you know, if you're thinking like a, most of us are Western thinkers, linear starts here, goes here. Check out the book of Romans. You'll love that. Therefore, therefore, in light of this, because of that, next. No. First John is like spaghetti. Whoa, here's the thing. Whoa, go over here. Whoa. Here's, you know why? That's a very Hebrew way of telling a story. And John was very much in Hebrew mode. So stuff comes up all through the book. So don't try to outline it. I tried for a month, lost my mind. Just give it up. (laughs) But this same topic of Jesus' humanity comes back in chapter 4. Look at the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you'll know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world." They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and listen to the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So what's this thing with spirit? Test the spirits. What does that mean? Well, we know that the spirit world is a real world. I'm preparing for a class uh, this fall in the Bible school called Spiritual Warfare. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And we live in a, in a flesh and blood world. We think, you know, things like that are real. And yeah, they're real, but there's a whole nother reality in the spiritual realm that's going on right now around us. And John says, you need to test the source when teaching comes to you or when you hear some new thing. You need to test out what is the source of that? Where is that coming from? Does it come from the kingdom of darkness, which is Satan's kingdom, or the kingdom of light, which is God's kingdom? So he says, test it out. And he says, let me give you a very practical test, one way to know where a teaching is coming from. He says, if someone confesses Jesus came in the flesh, that's the real deal. That's God. So he was a real man. Even 60 years in, guys were starting to say, ah, you know, Jesus, nice concept, airy-fairy. There was the beginnings of Gnosticism. We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, and they were starting to kind of backpedal on the humanity of Jesus. And John says, no. Jesus was a real man. And if somebody tells you differently, your little antenna, you know, your hair should go, wait a minute, we got a problem here. This is the beginning of false teaching. So he says, test those spirits. He brings up this person of Antichrist, which is a a biblical figure in the end times. Probably actual person, I think, that sort of all evil is going to end up into that's going to come against Christ and come against God in the end times. 
Actually, that spirit is already in, in our society, in our culture, in our world now, but there will be that person. John says, when someone says Jesus wasn't a real guy, that's the beginning of how you know where the Antichrist is. That's how you'll start to recognize him. A little farther down, he says in verse 4, you're from God and you've overcome them. For the one who's greater than in you, he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. That is a huge scripture. I, I cannot underestimate how big that is. What he's saying is, for those of us that have given our heart to the Lord, that are Christians, God resides in us. His Holy Spirit lives in us. And that spirit is infinitely greater than the spirit that's in the world, the spirit of deception or the spirit of Antichrist or the spirit that comes against truth. He says, just know what's inside you is more powerful than what's coming against you. And that's how you're going to know the difference. These people are from the world. The world listens to them. Why is it that the Christian message is no big thrill to a lot of people? Because it's not something that's on their radar. You can talk about religion, the great spirit of the whatever, and people are grooving on that. Even down at the park yesterday, I had some conversations, you know, the, the tree god kind of thing, you know. Nobody gets upset if you talk about tree gods and stuff. Cool. You know, we're all just spiritual, you know. Come on, man. We live on, you know, on in Nanaimo, you know. Yeah. But you start to talk about Jesus, a real man who came to earth, who claimed to be God. Yikes, the conversation is over. Or, you know, you get punched pretty quickly. So, I mean... <laughs> This is what John is saying was the, the reason that this doesn't go over so well is because people that are trapped in the world system don't want to talk about that. That's not a reality they want to, pr- to process until God breaks into their life. I think John would just say in his testimony, Jesus was a real flesh and blood man. He would testify to Jesus' humanity. And what's so great about this is Jesus didn't just bring salvation. Jesus was salvation. That's a huge distinction for us as Christians. Every world religion has some kind of teaching that sort of brings, you know, nirvana or peace or whatever, you know, you want to fill in, you know. And so you do some stuff, you live a certain way, you do some things, and you're all good. Christianity is not like that. We make a mistake when we think Christianity is like that. Okay, I'll come here, I'll sit in these blue seats, I'll shut up and give money and smile and be nice. No, that's not Christianity at all. Christianity is Jesus. (laughs) It's hard to get your head around. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by my teaching, my lifestyle. No, but by me, Jesus said. So Christianity, if it's anything, is intensely personal. It's about a relationship. It's about this man who was real, Jesus Christ. So you can see how critical this is. Because if you take the humanity of Jesus out of the picture, well, what's personal about that? It's just some world thought. That's why John's fighting so hard at the end of his life to say this was a real guy. And it matters. You've got to believe he was flesh and blood, he says. But he doesn't just testify to that. There's a second part which is just as critical And this is where our minds start to go tilt, so hang on. John also believed that Jesus Christ was God and the Savior of the world. Look in chapter 2, verse 18. 2, verse 18, John says, Children, it's the last hour, as you have heard, that that Antichrist is coming. 
and now many antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they were not from us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Here's the kernel of the deal here in verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you, that if you heard it from the beginning and abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise he's made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. So what's the second sort of part of John's testimony? John doesn't stop by just you know, making a proof, a credible proof that Jesus was a real man. He said, actually, there's got to be more to it than that because a lot of real men throughout history have said that they were something special. John starts to testify to the fact that Jesus was the Christ. Now, we think that's like my last name, Mark Manfredi, Jesus Christ. His last name wasn't Christ, okay? He didn't have a last name, Jesus of Nazareth, Joseph's son. But Christ is a very specific word. It means anointed one. It's a word that throughout the whole Old Testament, the people of God have been waiting for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one from God who would come and straighten the mess out that is life. So when, when John says Jesus is the Christ, he's saying a mouthful. He's saying not only is he a man, but he is God in very flesh. This is the part that our brains start to go tilt. Look at verse 22 again. Who's the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So there are powerful forces, again, antichrists, plural, and in the end time, probably antichrist, coming against the world and all the, and the thoughts of every human being to say, Jesus is not God. He couldn't have been God. You can make him a man, you can make him a good teacher, you can make him a moral example to follow, but not God. Because the, the game changes if he really was God. And John is saying, you've got to have both of these things. He talks about this anointing. This is an amazing thing for Christians. I mentioned it earlier, but the anointing is a revelation that comes to us when we receive Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, and everything starts to make sense because God is in us, not outside of us. This is an amazing reality of of the Christian life. And and John is saying to them, you're going to know the truth because the truth is in you, and the Spirit of God is going to rise up in you when these kind of teachings come against you. And in, in your gut, if you want to put it that way, you're going to say, no, this is not right. Jesus is the Son of God. He says, you have this anointing. I write this about those who are trying to, to deceive you. You don't need any new teachers. There's this whole thing of Gnosticism that was probably developing at the end of the first century. It was all about I know special stuff, and I, I have a special line to God, and it doesn't matter what happens around me. I'm just whom in between me and God. You know? Special teaching. Come over here. I'll tell you the secret. 
It's special. Only I know it, but I'll tell it to you. John says, you don't need guys like that. You already know the truth. You already know the reality. As Christians, that testimony is inside you because of what the Holy Spirit does. So he says, you don't have to get faked out by it. You know? What's the little movie with the turtle and the tail? And my tail is vibrating. There's a little kid's... What? The hedge, under the hedge thing. Remember the little turtle guy, right? My tail is twitching. Something's not right. We have that as Christians, you know? We, we get the little tail twitching, you know? If you're a Christian and somebody's trying to, to pull the wool over your eyes, that little tail twitch is not just Safeway pizza, you know? It's, it's the Holy Spirit saying to you, something is not right here. And John is saying, when you run into guys who have the latest special little thing, come to our special little meeting, you'll be special Jesus wasn't a man or Jesus wasn't God. He says, your tail should twitch because he's telling you that's the Antichrist. It's coming against who God is. Look at uh, at the end of the book, 5, chapter chapter 5, verse 6. Comes up again, as usual. Keeps coming back to stuff. Um, I wouldn't want to get directions from John. (laughs) You ever bought a car? You know, I never ask anymore. How do you get to your house? Because some people go, Boom, boom, boom. You know, they give you GPS coordinates. Other people are like, okay, go down here, but remember where that store used to be, but it's not there anymore. And then <laughs> my uncle, you'll see him on the right there, and you go around, but don't turn left there because you should turn. You know. <laughs> John probably would have given directions like that, so don't take directions from John. But listen to what he's saying in the Word. Uh, chapter 5, verse 6. Hang on, this is a little hard to sort. We'll get it. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because he is the Spirit of truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has given us, born concerning his son. Here's the crux of the deal, verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed the testimony of God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony. What's he talking about? What's the testimony? Here it is. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Can I be any clearer? John says, you know, very, very straightforward. Now, what's all the stuff with water and blood? It's a little bit confusing. It's hard to know exactly what he's talking about. I'm sure his readers knew what he meant, but 2,000 years later, it's hard for us to sort out. There's lots of ideas. I think the water is probably talking about Jesus' baptism when heaven opened and said, this is my son who, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is saying, yeah, that's the divine stamp of approval, the voice of God and the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus' shoulder. I think he's speaking about that. The water testifies Jesus' baptism in the Jordan by John at you know, age 33 or whatever is a testimony to the, the relationship, the, the sonship of God. And what's the blood? I think that's the blood that he shed on the cross. I think that's his, that he, the human part, that it wasn't just something that looked like God was doing something. It was actually a man bleeding. 
the God-man bleeding for us on the cross. So John's saying there's two very powerful threads that establish this, and John says actually there's a third, and that's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that already in us. And he says the three testify. You, you're good with the testimony of men, but this is even more important. What's he talking about? If you remember back to the Old Testament, it was very important in a court of law. Uh, you couldn't just accuse one person, couldn't just accuse somebody of murder or stealing. It had to be two or three witnesses. And on the, on the testimony of the two or three witnesses, then something was established as truth. It was a safeguard in the Old Testament against perjury and you know, false accusations. So John's saying, you, you know that from the Old Testament, that three witnesses is a powerful deal. It's the smoking gun. He said, we actually have three witnesses. The water, the voice of God, the, the baptism in Jesus, the blood, his humanity shed on the cross. I was there, I was standing there, I saw it. And the Holy Spirit coming in to bring all this together. So he says, here's the testimony of God. And what's the testimony? What's the, what's the whole message here? What's the whole point here? He says the whole point here is that God has given us salvation. He's given us eternal life. And where, what's the source? What's the, where do you get that eternal life? In his son. It's through relationship with Jesus Christ. You see how grounded this is. You see how real this testimony is of John. It's not some religion. It's not some thought process. It's not some, you know, it's grounded in the reality of a man. And yet the reality that that man was God on earth. Because he's the only one that could have pulled that off. Whoever has the Son has the Father. You see, you can't have God without Jesus. Now we're back to the politically incorrect part of the message, right? It's great to say you can have God. People love talking about God, like I said. But the Bible's very clear. Don't kid yourself. Don't say you have a relationship with God but you're not into Jesus. Now that's hard words, but I, I didn't make it up. It's right here in the Word of God. It's all through the Word of God. He is the way for a relationship with God. So it could be today you're thinking, it's all good, I love God, I'm not interested in Jesus, don't waste my time with Jesus. I just want to give you a little wake-up call, as lovingly as I can to say is, somebody has sold you a bill of goods. And that I don't want you going into heaven... Into, I don't want you to go into the afterlife thinking you're going to be in heaven on the basis of good feelings about God. It's just not in God's word, the Bible. The only way we come into a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ via a real flesh and blood man who was also God. So there's John's testimony. This was a real guy, and that real guy was actually God. Earth-shaking testimony. So let's fast forward from the end of the first century, which, as a Bible teacher, I love to live. (laughs) And let's think about the beginning of the 21st century where we are. Does any of this matter to us? I think it matters a lot. I think people are still trying to figure out who Jesus was. When Jesus was on earth, everybody was trying to figure out, who is this guy? The crowds were trying to figure out, how did all that work with the five loaves and we're all, our bellies are full, 5,000 or 15,000 or 20,000 of us, you know? People were trying, how, how is it this guy couldn't see and this guy can see now? How, how comes this guy's arm was all shriveled up and now he can reach out in his hand? Who is this guy? The crowds were trying to figure out. The religious leaders were trying to figure it out. 
Now, where were you from? Could I see your resume? Because, you know, if you didn't come from me, oh, no, no, no. They were trying to figure out who he was. The guys that Jesus lived with, his disciples, they were trying to figure it out. They go through a storm and they're about to die. Fishermen, you know, and Jesus wakes up, what, 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 groggy in the back of the boat. It had been a long day, right? Uh, be quiet, be still. And instantly they're going, oh, who is that? I thought I knew who that was. He, she spoke the word and the, and the storm is done. Who is that? We see him in the middle of the night walking across the lake and he gets in the boat. You know, talk about, you know. Who is this guy? People were trying to figure that out. It took those guys three years. I don't even think they got it sorted out till the Holy Spirit came, you know, at Pentecost. But then, whoa, watch out. Then they got, okay, the God-man. The God, man, that's who he was. But everybody's trying to figure it out. People are still trying to figure out Jesus. I think it's, this, it's today's news. Was he real is the first question. Was Jesus Christ, Jesus the son of Joseph, carpenter, Jewish dude who lived in the first century, was he a real guy? Or was he like, you know, Paul Bunyan? Kind of a myth, you know, with his big ox, you know, and, you know... In the States, there's a place that has a big blue ox. We used to go on holiday in the back of the station wagon, and every time my dad would want to stop and see this ridiculous blue ox, it's like as big as this building. It's like, Dad, I don't want to hear the story of Paul Bunyan, okay? It's a story. It's a fable. It's a myth. Is Jesus like that? Is he like Spider-Man, you know? Oh, yeah. I've seen the movie. I know he's real. (laughs) Nobody thinks, well, nobody above the age eight thinks Spider-Man is real, okay? (laughs) It's a myth, it's a legend, it's a fun story, it's a bedtime thing, right? Is that who Jesus is? A lot of people think so. Oh, that's a fun story. You know, my parents weren't saved as a little kid. Oh yeah, we want you to know about a little religion. Go, go to that little Bible club thing. Get, hear about the Jesus story because that's a lot of stories I want you to learn about as a kid. That's where they were at. Rocked their world when I came home and said, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, mom. okay Bible club is over (laughs) because she figured he was just a bedtime story and I had realized because of what God had done in my life and as a young man he's real what about this is he the savior of the world whoa that's a tough one for people to swallow I can buy that he was a good religious teacher. I love that Sermon on the Mount about do everything that you want to have cool to you, to others, to me, to you, however that goes. You know, I hear that all the time. All my religion is the golden rule. I say, what is the golden rule? Oh, well, it's, you know, kind of a, you don't even know what it is, do you? No. (laughs) Was he just a good religious teacher? Uh, Was he, um, you know, precepts for life? You know, late night radio talk show kind of stuff? Was he an example to follow? Oh, I just want to be like Jesus. Man, he just loved folks. Yeah, you know, and somebody said, I just want to be like Jesus. I say, when's the last time you've raised a guy from the dead? Well, I didn't really want to be that much like Jesus, right? You can't really buy that. If you think carefully, God's given us brains. It's not, it doesn't bring a lo- to a logical conclusion if you've looked at the word of God. C.S. Lewis said, there's only three possibilities about this guy, Jesus. He's a liar. He knows he's not God, and he's trying to fake you out. He's a lunatic on the level of a fried egg. He actually thinks he's God. 
You know, he's lost his mind. Been in the sun in Palestine too long. Or there's only one other option. He actually is who he's, he's Lord. Liar, liar, lunatic, or Lord. There's only three ways to go. <laughs> so where are you at on this? You've picked one of those three by default, even if you don't realize it this morning. You've bought one of those lines. You've come to a conclusion about Jesus. And I'm just asking you, if it's not the third, if you have not made the conclusion that Jesus Christ is Lord, I just want to invite you to back the truck up a little bit and to think about where you've come from and who's influenced you. Where did you get that idea? Because until we can connect up the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus, the manness and the godness, we don't really know who that guy is. And until that comes through a personal relationship in our life, we don't have salvation. I just can't be any clearer than that. <laughs> this is the message of the gospel. Just didn't want to invite you to just have a little bit of time to reflect on that. I know maybe for some of you this has rocked your world this morning. And I want to just let it sink in a little bit. Remember what I said about the Holy Spirit? For those of us that are Christians, the Holy Spirit testifies in, in us. One of the cool things about the Holy Spirit is even if you don't know Jesus, He reaches out to you as well. And those scriptures, those songs we sang even this morning, they're awesome. God goes after us. And you might feel like God's coming after you this morning. Yay! We've been praying that you'd feel that. We want you to know Jesus. I just prayed a radical prayer as we were worshiping. I said, God, nobody goes out of the building unless they're saved <laughs> this morning. Now, I can't make that happen. That's, that's abuse, you know. Only God can make that happen. But I want you to have that chance to be able to do that. So just where you're sitting, and just invite you just to bow your head. It not, doesn't make you more spiritual, but it helps you tune out a little bit to what's going on around you. And just want to give you a chance to reconcile that issue of the reality of Jesus, a real man, and that he was God. You see, the, the first part is the personal part, but the second part is the power part. And real Christianity is all about power, about God's power through us. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you, just in, the, in these few minutes before we close, Lord, that you would come and speak to hearts right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just invite you to testify to hearts this morning, Lord. Lord. The scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's the God part, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he was a real man, you will be saved. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified. 
and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. And everyone who calls on Him will be saved. We're calling on Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, I cannot do life on my own. I realize that I have sin in my life. I realize that I've come up short time and time again. Will you forgive me? I accept you as my Savior, as God in my life. Lord, I do that right now. I just open myself up to you. I sign over the title of my life to you. Save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Come into my heart. I accept you, God. I accept you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for people that are seeking this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you that you've drawn them. Thank you that you're speaking to them right now and you're confirming what has been said in your word this morning. Bring life. Bring life this morning. Thank you, Lord.